Hey guys, what's up? Flick City episode 75 this is going to be a very quick one. This is the weekend of Halloween. So I have some Huluween stuff programming from Huluween, a couple of specials, and one interview from our buddy, our friend Eric Holmes. He has an interview for the Huluween Bite Size Halloween Season 3, one of the directors behind these series of shorts. First up is an interview for the, the Poloni Show Halloween special of Justin Roiland, Ben Bayuth, and Zach Hadel, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, or Zach Hadel, or I'm going to say Zach Hadel, so that's my bad on that, but Justin Roiland, who you, you may know as a co-creator from Solar Opposites, Ben Youth and Zach Hadel, if you are a fan of the Poloni Show Halloween special, hopefully the Poloni Show, if it, this was an iteration, an idea that was launched by these guys years ago, and now it's making its way to to Hulu via Huluween, and who knows, maybe there will be more of the Polona show if this Halloween special gets a lot of love and run during its time on Hulu. Okay, so that is the first set of any interviews. The second set of interviews is with Solar Opposites interview with co-creator Mike McMahon and producers um, producers and writers Daniel Uhlrich and Josh Bicell. Again, Daniel Uhlrich. My bad. Here's my name, Sir Zavasti. I, I don't know how to pronounce names very well on my end. Again, Josh Bicell, Daniel Uhlrich, and co-creator Mike McMahon for Solar Opposites. Forgot to mention the Poloni Show Halloween special interview has a pretty long, no, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty in-depth answer from Justin Roiland about his state, the state of the state regarding cryptocurrency, especially via the prism of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So, some of you crypto enthusiasts, enthusiasts, or maybe crypto naysayers will take heed and maybe listen to what his own insights regarding that pathway to is NFTs a viable way into the present and future, or is it going to be a transitory situation? Now for solar opposites, if you're really into writing and how they create shows and their level of perfection, the level of perfectionism and hard work that goes into solar opposites, you're going to like that interview as well. Now, the reason why I'm putting Sleep Study, directed by Natalie Metzger, Sleep Study is an installment from the um, from the Bite Size Halloween section of the Huluween segment of Hulu. Okay, so Bite Size Halloween, essentially, they're in its thir- third season, and these are a series of shorts by indie filmmakers putting out some interesting horror shorts to celebrate the beauty and the horror that is Halloween. So this Sleep Study short really blew me away really loved it again directed by natalie metzger she produced last year the beta test and also werewolves within so she's a very interesting interview and buddy eric holmes actually he actually interviewed a lot of directors this is one of the 20 or so people he interviewed for huluween for the bite-size halloween series okay and i i picked this one up because so far this is the one i really really enjoyed from the selections okay so again the poloni show halloween special solar opposites and then sleep study these are the three hulu pieces of programming that hopefully you'll be enjoying or if you have not already enjoyed it after these interviews you might want to check them out all right guys thanks again for listening to cinematics and what else state of the state i'm trying to think of any movies right off the top of my head that i would really recommend but I think on the film vault, Anderson really praised Holy Spider. If you listen to our sister program, the Find Your Film podcast, me, Eric, and Bruce also loved Holy Spider. Currently, it's only showing in New York this weekend, comes out in LA, but in the ensuing weeks, this movie set in Iran is going to hopefully, it's actually 
a movie set in Iran, but it's a, we forgot to mention this on the Find Your Film podcast. It's, I think, an official entry to the Oscars from, I think it's a Denmark or it's a Danish official entry to the Oscars. And it's one of my favorite films this year. Sort of a crime thriller element with social, just a, a societal look at the way women and are treated within the confines of this holy city. I believe the holy city is called Mashhad over in Iran. So very interesting. You're going to be hearing more about Holy Spider in the coming weeks, ramping up towards the award season. All right, guys, thanks again for listening to Cinematics. Hope you guys are having a great weekend, week watching movies, and take care. Bye. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, first off, really love the anthology format with this, and I'm a huge fan of The Twilight Zone, but just big picture, if, if this uh, show would... Uh, branch out would it would it have been in, in that kind of anthology format because i i really appreciated that th- that aesthetic yeah i think the poloni show in any version has always been like uh these characters trying to host a you know variety show and just keep and then just shit the wheels fall off and things go insane but they're still trying to keep it together and host the show so that's kind of the the throwing the sketches and seeing a bunch of comedy from all these different voices, I think is, is, is intrinsic to, you know, the nature of what this thing is. I do think if it were to go, we, we might, we might, you know, if we were to do, let's say a bunch of these, we don't know, you know, we just kind of just made this one and we're going to see what happens. But if we were to do a bunch, we probably would spin up a writer's room and we'd probably write some sketches that we would produce ourselves to plug in as well, but we'd still be bringing in cool people to, to play in, in, in this incubator, you know, but um, but yeah, I think uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, we we definitely we're. I mean, I, I'll speak from. I'm I'm so damn busy. I haven't really even. I've got old ideas that I'd love to, stories that I'd love to do. And I've got I have a few ideas from when we were making this one when when I was much more actively thinking about it. Of like, oh, this would be a fun episode idea, and this would be a cool story to do. But but um, we'll find out. You know, down the road, uh, what the reception is like and if people if people like it enough to to warrant there being more but yeah i'm just glad i got to do something with this with this uh with these characters you know i've for most of my life i've been a pretty horrible ignorant film snob and you know i like preston sturges the comedies from the past that carol lombard that kind of machine gun dialogue and just from both of all of you guys as collaborators what makes animation i guess pretty much the the top echelon when it comes to comedic writing and situations because i think it, it really kills live action and i know i know you guys have addressed this before but someone like me who's ignorant it's just realizing the, the comedy is here in this form hmm. zach i'll let you answer that oh well, thank you i thought i i was hoping you, you would kick it off to me i have the perfect answer no i think I, I don't know i think with animation you can really do a lot um you know i i've never done live action myself but i have a lot of friends that do and you hear a lot of you know what you what you have what you shot and you can't really go back you know with animation you can restore more than an entire scene or you could reanimate a whole sequence or you could go back in and re-record something so it's very flexible it's not really it's not really done until it's done, until it's out, which I like about it. I think, um, I don't know, it gives you a lot of freedom. Every it's step also, of the process, every single step all, of the process is an opportunity to plug more jokes in. And you can't. Yeah, to make it better, to yeah. plus it, to yes. get, yeah. it, get it back on the road if it feels like it's going in the weeds. You, yeah. you have all these opportunities. But then also, budgetarily, you can do so much 
more like, you know, imagine if this special were live action, we would have had to get a, We would have had to have a really amazing location team and we would have had to find like Costumes, the house. We would have had to find the cabin. The, yeah. Yeah. And I think that those limitations will inform the room when you're writing and breaking story, you're going to be like, okay, well, what, what's, what, you know, you, you, you have a ceiling that you can't, you know, you kind of have to stay underneath and because you're, your access to certain, you know, like I, that's why there's not a whole lot of really crazy, insane sci-fi, you know, movies in the same vein as like, you know, Thor Ragnarok. I don't know. Just as an example, like you look at Thor Ragnarok, that, that movie is what kind of got me into that whole Marvel wave back, back when that was happening with Endgame and all that stuff. I wasn't really into the movies as much before that movie. Cause that movie hit my brain. Like, Oh my God, this is like just a crazy fucking sci-fi comedy. Like, uh, you know, with superhero pieces and stuff mixed in, but, and I was just, I was just blown away at the budget. You know, I was like, this is, they, they built a whole crazy alien planet. There's like, you know, it, it was really awesome and it was well-written and fun. And, you don't see that that often because those movies cost a fucking arm and a leg. And I think people are afraid, you know, sci-fi scary, you know, sci-fi, you know, it, it, to a lot of people, it's like, Oh, do the crazy, you know, 150, $200 million sci-fi comedy. Well, comedies usually are more in the 30 million, you know what I mean? Like, why would we spend 250? Yeah. But it's like, well, because then you can do something really magical, but then that stuff ends up just going to animation. Cause it's like, yeah, it's just it's just cheaper. It's it's way less expensive to do it that way. You know, uh, final question, Justin. You were saying your your plate's really full. A year ago, I, mem- I remember you tweeted about the the you're l- looking at the boundaries and the the dimensions regarding crypto art, and then you've also expanded your life with with gaming. Where's that immersion? Is there is there a le- legitimate immersion in both worlds from your vantage point as a creator? Um, I feel so. For me, my relationship with crypto stuff is. You know, we, we're about to launch a thing called Art Gobblers, which is just artgobblers.com. Um, or you can go to the Twitter Art Gobblers and check it out. But like, it, it's really just that, that that's like an interesting on-chain experiment to see what kind of art gets made using a tool that's fairly limited in, in, in its capabilities. But, and, and sort of how that system is designed is very elegant as a thing that we're going to put out there and just walk away from, you know, and just let it just see what happens, you know, um, like an organism, you know, uh, in a bottle, but, um, but like with the video game stuff and there is some interactivity obviously with that project. Um, but it's interesting just to do something like that on chain and to sort of see what the, it's going to be really cool to see mainly we're already seeing incredible art pieces coming from that. So it's really exciting. And then the video game stuff, you know, VR is what got me in there in the first place, but now I've got this incredible, amazing studio and we're, we're about to ship our first like, you know, traditional game, you know, big giant, you know, very ambitious first person shooter, uh, action adventure, Metroidvania narrative um, with talking guns as your, you know, as your weapons, but also your sidekicks and companions in the game. And um, I, I, I don't know, I see video games. I'm a lifelong gamer. So I just, they're all so different. All these things are so different to me. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I do think AI is going to be a big part of it. I do believe that when it comes to video games, when it comes to all this stuff, AI is going to come in and really change the game for all kinds of artists and art in general. Um, Like video games are going to be really interesting when we get to a point where you have a console that, or maybe a PC that you can just say, uh, spin me up a Metroidvania style game with cartoony, you know, characters and whatever, you know, and then you're just, 
okay, and then you're off to the races and then you can maybe tell the game a little less dark, maybe more colorful. Okay. And then you, you know, eventually you you're, you're, you're creating a video game with just you and an AI that you can then button up and tweet it out or share it on socials and people can click it and play it, you know, and it's like, holy fuck, this is a really good game. I don't know. Like that's sort of the future of, of all of it, you know, G- give me a painting that looks like Monet, but it's, but it's like a Ren and Stimpy eating cake. I mean, we're already there. That's already happening. So, you know, it's going to be really crazy to see how AI and also just imagine a game. I know we were supposed to wrap up. So the last thing I'll say is just imagine a game with NPCs that you can talk to who it's like, they're fucking real people. They're 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 And you can just voice chat with them. And it's like, that's, that's going to be in the next five to 10 years. So it's going to be nuts. But anyway, thank you guys so much nice for your time. You. Yeah. Pleasure yeah. meeting you guys. And thank you guys for, so much for eyes wide shot. Loved it. So thank you guys. <laughs> Uh, first off, I'm sure you guys have answered this ad nauseum, but you know I, I love Preston Sturges and Carol Lombard, comedies from the past. Why in general is pretty much most of the best comedy not not on live action but in, in animation? So apologies for that question, but just from your take, that I, I miss that dialogue and it's, I get that from animation. So. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's because the animation is funnier because the characters can bug their eyes out when they get surprised by something. Um animated character falls down a flight of stairs you're not worried if that has uh, sterilized them it's just funny to watch you know that they haven't hurt themselves and um i think we have brighter colors and colors are very funny humans laugh at, at very bright colors you know and so with all of those things combined as long as you have people saying funny stuff and funny things are happening you know we're uh we're in the funny zone with animation yeah i mean i also think like on so many comedies now the com there's no comedy in comedies in the live yeah. action comedies they're like dramas and with animation, especially with this show, with the actors we have, with the artists we have, like, we never, we never want to cut a joke. We always want to put jokes in our act. We make our actors talk incredibly fast. They're great. And I think that's just for us, the speed. We want it to be so fast that you have to go back and watch something because you missed it. Yeah. If it's funny, it goes in. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> yep. We really want to say something with solar opposites. And the thing we want to say is jokes. <laughs> <laughs> thing you want to say is joke look i what's it like, okay again another obvious question what's it like to have a show that's just so roundly praised and cr- from the critics and from the audience is it something that you guys just take with a grain of salt and you got to you got to keep a level head about it because all all of you really work hard to make those jokes work i guess you know well, well greg i worked on veronica's closet so yeah. i know what it means to work on a very praised show but you guys should probably i don't know if mike's worked on any shows like that i um you know, I find I don't read reviews. I I like to look at our art and I like to take in if I feel like we've done well. And then I have Danielle read the reviews and tell them to me. And so I do like hearing that people like the show. But and I try I to keep myself pure. Bad reviews to him. Yeah. It's great. I've never I mean, heard a bad love... review of the show. Honestly, Greg, mm-hmm. we have so much time making each other laugh and having fun with this show. And I think hopefully the joy of making it comes out in the show. So we're obviously so excited that people like it and have responded to it. Okay. Cause sometimes we just think it's us being weirdos and we love that people pick up on all the little weird things that are in the show. We have so much fun in the writer's room and we've been kind of like a family for so many years now, but that now we're just, we always just compete to make each other laugh. And the fact that that translates outside is, is great because it's truly the the show is, is what comedy should be. It just gives us so much joy to make. I'm like a family dog. Yeah. (laughs) 
you, you know, is it? I guess it's really not uh, discussed a lot, but you know, writing comedy as far as like, is it also the key to writing successful comedy is actually having giving yourself the room to? You said you write jokes and having jokes is to actually fail. You know, maybe it's like batting you, you know, hitting 300, three out of 10 is, is great. Is it also being open to actually having these jokes or these lines? Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have room to fail. Like we can only be successful. So, you know, sometimes somebody thinks like, should we try failing this episode or this week? And then we usually just decide to be victorious. You know what I mean? Because like we only have, you know, we don't have 22 something episodes like like shows used to have. You used to fail every other episode and that was fine. But now we have to like take the failures and kind of like, you know, put them away. Like we have to hit home runs every episode or else, you know, what are we even doing? You know what I mean? Some people would say that writing comedy is like uh, being on the show alone, uh, which is my favorite show to watch right now. Like you have to fail a gajillion times to survive and to push each other a little further. But Mike, I mean, I think, and he's amazing at it. Yeah, what you what you see on screen, Greg, though, is us having failed so many times and gone through so many iterations of everything that by the time we get to the screen, as Mike says, like we're putting our best, the thing that it that has won out over everything else. I think that it's hard to fail on this show because we've defined our own goalposts and we're just having a good time. So, like, if something brings you joy, you can't fail at it because you're having you're having a good time doing it and whoever's watching it and is enjoying it they're they're set their goalposts and they're going to be happy in their lives you know what i mean like you don't want to go into something that's so joyful and fun and try to find fault with it you should just pick it up for a hundred more seasons you know that's my take on it i think we should pick it up for a hundred more seasons i think that's what we'd like you know what daniel i'll do it it's picked up great you know, my final question is very quickly just that, uh, you know, it's, you know, I think if, if I recall the end of Sullivan's Travels, you have people really laughing and and there's joy in that. You, were, you guys were mentioning about the joy. Is it joy not – do you guys ever – do you guys ever have that Sullivan's Travels moment where you're actually in a room and you see people laugh at your work and is it gratifying or is the joy actually just being in that writer's room and making like – and you know, you're saying making each other's laugh and it's all about the work and not just the response. So. I think it's I think it's sort of 50-50. Like when we sent Yumulak to hell, it made us all laugh. But then when we see other people laugh at it, it's like, oh, we've created a little community with our own audience. But we it starts in the writer's room, you know? Corvo's afraid of candy corn. That's funny to us. Is it gonna be funny to people outside? I don't know. Like it's you, you know, the room is big enough and the people are funny enough that like it feels like it is a safe enough assumption that if we're all laughing at something that other people out in the world will laugh, but we're not sitting in your living room, hearing you laugh at a TV show. We're making each other laugh in the room. Like when Josh is writing these, these little ditties for the crypt keeper, like that's, that's, you know, the dopamine hit you get out of making Danielle laugh with a ditty is what we hope the audience at home will laugh when they're seeing the ditties. Thank you guys so much for your time. Really appreciate it. We're here with uh, Natalie Metzger, and you directed the Sleep Study uh, short from Bite Size Halloween. Um, I guess I want to start. Well, I probably shouldn't start with this, but this was uh, kind of uh, popped in my mind. Um, there's the the death, I guess, or phantom in the uh, in the first time you see it in the short. It looks like uh, just someone. You know, it's basically all shadow and seems like someone in a cloak. 
and it comes up to the bed and then goes sideways. And I was like, is that CGI shot or is that Pratt? Like, and, <laughs> and there's a bunch of that in this short where I'm kind of like, Oh, that's a, that's a person in a cloak. And then it does a weird movement or something. And it seems like it's CGI. So what, like, get, give me the behind the scenes <laughs> magic trick on that. So we actually cast a real ghoul and that's how we Oh, okay. Well, there it is. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, we had a really, really talented um, stunt guy. His name is Joey Wilson, who um, he, uh, he was able to kind of uh, manipulate uh, like the cloak and his movement to get as close to what we wanted it to be as possible. But then it's then enhanced by, by VFX. And there were like a couple times where we actually had him drop out because we knew like it would need to get, you know, kind of drawn in to, to achieve some of those movements. But honestly, I was, I was surprised be, like being on set, how kind of he was able to make it seem like he's floating <laughs> just practically. Yeah, it was, uh, that, that was real seamless. Uh, it was like, in, anytime I see like special effects, it can kind of like, uh, okay, wait, no, wait, what? It, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's almost like you should be doing that on like Penn and Teller's Fool Us. Cause there, there was definitely, uh, there's definitely an element of magic to a lot of effects like this. Awesome. Thanks. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. The more, the more grounded it feels, the better. But also, um, first of all, uh, the poster behind you, Werewolves Within, and I know you've produced that and uh, and on the podcast, we're huge Jim Cummings fans. So uh, oh, awesome. Thanks. thank you very much for Werewolves Within along with uh, uh, Thunder Road. And well, actually, you did Werewolves Within and Wolf of Snow Hall, which are probably two of the best werewolf movies to come out in quite some time. <laughs> Well, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. After we produced both, like both of those, like it, it started to become a joke of like, wait, are we just like the werewolf producers? Hey, do we, do we it, if you're nailing out? it, why not? <laughs> but yeah, those are both really, really fun to make. Yeah. And uh, also, um, so in the short, I was getting like, a, um, you know, obviously the phantom or the demon or what, or whatever it is. Um, it's, it felt like it was a, uh, kind of a, a metaphor is not the right word, but it felt like uh, she had like some sleep disorder and I was thinking sleep apnea, but that's not correct either. Uh, what, yeah. What's uh, what's what's the sleep disorder she has? Yeah. So it's a, it's a mix of, she has sleep paralysis as well as REM behavior disorder. And so I was, I was like doing this deep dive into um, all these neuroscience books about sleep disorders and, um, and just the science of sleep in general. I just find that stuff to be fascinating. So it was, it was while I was reading a lot of those that, um, that this script kind of, you know, came out of that, but it's, yeah, she kind of has like a, like a mix of a, of a couple di- like different things. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, sleep paralysis and REM behavior disorder, I think, are the two main ones. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, pretty pretty good stuff. Oh man, I got uh, I need okay, I gotta save this question for after we're done. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, when um, so was this a was this a story that you had um, in mind before Bite Size Halloween, or was it they came to you and you're like, oh, I got this uh, one in the back burner, I wanted. To do or did they come to you and you're like huh you know and then maybe you came up with it after the fact yeah so so they uh they came to me after seeing my short film immortal which is a a, a kind of sci-fi film um and uh you know they said hey do you have anything in the horror space and it was right around the time that i was like you know reading all these books and i was like 
You know, like the thing that I find the most terrifying is like this stuff where the brain goes wrong, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, I was like, I was like, I think, I think I want to do something in this space. So I, so, so I wrote the script and sent it to them and they liked it. So yeah. <laughs> we got to make it. Sweet. Also, another thing I'm look, uh, looking at your IMDb, uh, you got a, quite a few writing credits. Uh, you got a couple um, uh, writing credits on documentaries. How does that work? Uh, cause I, I, I've asked a couple of people this and every time I get different answers. So I'm kind of curious on, on what your version of a writing credit on a documentary would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funky cause there's not like necessarily a script that you're following, but, um, you know, but like so much of the like story structure and kind of creating that kind of outline and, um, and like overall kind of story approach um, is, is kind of where, like, like where I see that coming from. And so a lot of it is just really working closely with the editor, kind of creating that, that outline ahead of time so that you're following it together and, you know, hitting all the main like chapters, I guess, you know, is, is, is how I like to put it. Yeah. And what, and what's your, uh, I guess, what's your process uh, and, you know, putting your producer hat on, like, uh, this is something I want to produce or like this is a documentary or a movie I want to produce. Like uh, what, what leads you to uh, whatever that is? A lot of it is just based on the filmmaker, you know, like I, I find myself just being, you know, pulled to certain um, filmmakers, their, like their style, their vision, their kind of their like overall vibe. And, um, and once, you know, like, you know, a lot of it is just seeing a short film of theirs or seeing, you know, some of their work that kind of gives a little taste. And then it's about saying like, Hey, what else do you have going on? Like, do you have a feature written? Do you have another short, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But a lot of filmmakers that we've worked with, um, you know, it kind of starts as a short film, a commercial, just kind of feeling out each other's vibes. And then if that goes well, continuing on to do features and multiple, multiple features um, and uh, that process. And then every once in a while, like there, like there's a script. I'm a huge science nerd. So if there's a, a science uh, concept script that I just f- fall in love with, like, then it's like kind of just about the script, but, um, but, but mostly it's about the filmmaker and about their kind of style. Yeah. And also speaking of shorts, like the bite-sized Halloween, like the, I'm getting through these and uh, getting through these, <laughs> these have all been really good. Um, what uh, do you see uh, some, cause you know, shorts don't typically make money but they still cost money to make. But uh, a lot of people say, well, it's a calling card. Like how important do you think something like bite-sized Halloween or other kind of, uh, uh, you know, things like this is as far as uh, getting names out there that, especially this one, because I'm talking to a bunch of directors that, um, you know, people might not have heard otherwise. And I think it's important to get their name out. Yeah. I mean, I think like 20 digital deserves such kudos for, you know, doing like this, this program, because there aren't that many programs like this out there. And I think, you know, it's one, it's a great incubator for, you know, developing new concepts and ideas. And now they're making features out of some of these shorts. And so I can see it just being like really successful on the creative side, but also the fact that they're championing, you know, new voices, diverse voices, underrepresented voices, um, it's something that's, you know, really exciting and gives opportunities to, you know, to, to people that might not have that, that opportunity to get to write and direct something like really interesting and cool and unique. And, you know, a lot of times like they, they, you know, they, they're super supportive of just like, Hey, like give us a cool script and like, let's make it. And, you know, uh, they were very, um, you know, kind of 
like hands off, kind of like let us do our thing, but then also had like really great thoughts and ideas um, that helped, you know, enhance it. And so it was, it was just a really great collaborative um, partnership. And I think they're very unique in that. Yeah. Have you got to watch any of the other shorts in, in this series so far? I have, I think I'm like two thirds of the way through like through the season and they're so good. I'm so impressed by all of them. And, uh, and they're, it's like such different stories yeah. and vibes and styles. It's, it's, it's really cool to see. And, it, you know, I kind of love that kind of buffet style of like, Oh, I, I get to like have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. When you, when you hear of like a diversity, you think like, like, you know, super important with a capital I, but uh, in, in some of these are, and other ones are like, I'm, I just want to do a, you know, I, I just want to do a monster movie or I want to do a slat or something fun. So like yeah, for sure. Well, uh, yeah. Congratulations on that awesome short and can't wait to see what else, uh, see what else you produce, what else you direct, what else you write. Uh, you're a okay. woman of many hats and I, they all look good on you. So um, <laughs> congratulations <laughs> Thank and you. thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.